Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Hello and welcome to another episode of Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli. Thank you for joining me today. I have a returning guest, someone who I've had on once or twice already. She is a real estate investor and someone who has spent years self-managing her properties. And uh, we were talking the other day and she wanted to see if we want to talk about her very, very simple, but still very useful five rules to remote property management. I think it makes a lot of sense as I've been getting more people asking me and my team about self-management and how they can go about doing it. Not that there's anything wrong with professional full-service property management. It's something that I use and believe in, and that's by choice because of my work schedule and my lifestyle and all that kind of stuff. But it's something I'm slowly venturing into because I think that I will have the uh, capability, capacity, and time for it. And so I'm learning as much as I can about self-management. My guest today, Dana, will talk about these five rules and hopefully you get a lot out of this episode. Of course, I'm always open to feedback. And if you're new to the show, remember to subscribe. I hope you enjoy the episode. Let's jump right in. Okay, well, I'm very pleased to bring back a returning guest, Dana Dunford, and uh, she is the CEO of Hemlane, a technology-enabled property management platform. She's also, like me, a strong advocate of purchasing rental properties anywhere in the U.S., as long as it's a good deal, because we both know that the best investments are not typically found in your backyard. Dana received her MBA from Harvard Business School in 2018. She was named one of the top 20 women leaders and influencers in commercial real estate tech. She previously worked at Apple on their worldwide financial planning and analysis team, and then as well as Nest, which is the home tech company acquired by Google for $3.2 billion. And she worked in business development. So she's a very smart lady. And with that, Dana, welcome back to the show. Great. Thanks for having me back on the show, Marco. Well, it's great to have you. Interesting topic for today. It centers around remote property management, something that I know a lot of investors have questions about and some of them certainly think about. But let's start off by talking about what remote property management is and why we're even talking about it today. Yeah, the the background on remote property management actually has to do with the investor. And when you look at investors around the U.S., so those who own rental properties, 72% are self-managing. And what you're noticing more and more, thanks to you, Marco, is that it's much easier to purchase properties out of state and get better returns than it was 10, 20 years ago. And so now you have these two different trends. One is purchasing properties that aren't in your backyard, and two is managing your properties yourself because majority of real estate investors do that in this need to merge the two together. However, I would say that most people, and I'm pretty conservative with real estate investing and operations, most people do it incorrectly. They think, great, I'll buy a property in Florida. I live here in California and I'll be able to manage it myself remotely. And I will do all the communications online. I will have a smart lockbox, and that will solve everything. Um, and that's not actually the case. Um, there's ways to do remote property management correctly. There's ways that you can set yourself up for failure. And if your goal, which hopefully it is, is to purchase more rental properties, have diversity. So in a couple of different cities, 
and having one central place to view those properties, manage them, and get the support you need is really important. Um, and so that's what we're here today to talk about. Remote property management is essentially enabling you to have a bit more control over your portfolio of rentals and getting the support that you need that is local, the boots on the ground, while still being able to influence and make those decisions you need with your own property managements, with your assets that you have in your portfolio. So before we dive deeper and talk about what it takes to be successful in being a remote property manager for yourself, essentially, why do people get hung up on this? What is their reluctance? Why don't more investors self-manage? It's two different things. Um, one, I would say fear of the unknown, especially new investors don't know what they're getting into. And it's actually very interesting because new investors fall into two categories. One says, oh, it's super easy to manage my property. And others, which I actually think it, it's pretty smart for them to think through this, say, oh, but what happens if there's an eviction? What happens if I have a dramatic tenant? Whatever it may be. Who says, you know, that it, that is the reason that um, I can't remotely manage. The other one I would say is why uh, folks who invest out of state do not remotely manage is passive cash flow. They want to purchase a property and then forget about it. It's much easier if you think of folks who do have money. They typically, a lot of them start because they have a W-2 job. They're working really long hours and they're trying to set up their investment portfolio for success in the future. In other words, they want to uh, make as much money, save as much of it, allocate it to real estate. And this is a smart thing to do. And then eventually in 10 to 20 years, once their portfolio is built up, they can actually leave their W-2 job. They can go ahead and have that passive income. And that's actually a much better way to build your portfolio. You can do it faster that way. But because you have this W-2 job, it is very hard to be able to manage it if you have to do all the administration associated with your rental property. And so from that perspective, you do see those are the kind of two hesitations and reservations. However, what we have noticed um, over the past five years now is with technology, and Marco, you guys are one of those out there where you can go online, you can view a property and almost feel like you know it, you have the cash flow, you can talk to the local agent, you literally don't need to be there to purchase it. You can go on Google Maps, see what the area looks like, is it built up, you can look at the map view or the street view to see exactly what is there. There are investors who are saying, wow, I can do that with the purchase of the property. Should I also do something with the management? And that's the question that we're answering today with the skepticism and reservation that there are really, there are ways to do it correctly. There are ways to do it incorrectly. And a lot of that has to do with one, your personality. So who you are as a human to your portfolio itself. And then three, how you want to invest your time. And do you actually want to set up a good process? Got it. Okay. So me as an investor, what do I need to do or what does someone need to do to be successful in remote property management? Yeah. So I have five just simple rules to remote property management that I think will help set up a real estate investor for success. 
And the very first one is to be professional with it. This takes a little bit of time. It's, it's sort of like onboarding for a new job, right? You, you need to learn and be trained on it. So what I mean by that um, with be professional is if you're a remote investor, so let's just say Marco, um, someone who's just purchased a property from you, they've purchased over in Florida, an investment, and they have said, great, I'm going to remotely manage it. They go over there. They might even do the showings themselves in person. And then they say, tenant, great. Here is my personal cell phone number. Here is my personal address. Here is my personal email address. If you are going to remotely manage your properties, you have to set yourself up. First of all, legal structure. It might just be insurance at the beginning. It might be an LLC, which is obviously highly recommended or a trust eventually as you build your portfolio, but really setting yourself up to be a business. This is a business. And so if you're going to remotely manage, you have to treat this like a business. You have to have separation between personal and your business relations. And what that means is getting a Google voice number that when a tenant ever calls about anything or any of your contractors call or your leasing agent, it goes to that inbox that, and it's, and this is your real estate portfolio, uh, Google voice number or whatever system you want to use. I say Google voice, cause I'm pretty sure it's still free today. You also need an email address um, for your rental properties. So getting that set up. So that is connected to all of your accounts and communication and making sure that a tenant doesn't think because you are remote, you're in California and the property is in Florida, that they can take advantage of the situation. Tenants who are professional tenants will basically be more attracted to properties where they know the owner is out of state or they know that the owner is not professional. So if they see it looks like someone's personal Gmail, it looks like a landlord who doesn't run background and credit checks, they are gonna love those properties. They're gonna be all over those ones for a rental. But if you show you have a consistent process, you're very professional and you're running it like a business, you are much less likely to be taken advantage of. And that professionalism that you have transpires down to your tenants and they will be just as professional following the lease agreement, et cetera. Okay, so the thing I get hung up on often just Mm -hmm. because I'm so not used to self-managing, although that will change, is the how-to questions. How do I do this? How do I do that? You know, how can I be a remote property manager for my own portfolio? And I know a lot of it revolves around having people on the ground, like boots on the ground, as I call it. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you don't have that, or at least not in the beginning. So maybe talk about that. How can a person get ramped up so they can self-manage? Yeah, that's my rule number two. And this is actually the biggest mistake, Marco, that uh, first-time remote investors make, where they don't have a local team. In other words, they think, I will put that smart lockbox on, I will do all my communications via FaceTime, and everything is going to be okay. Let me give you an example of where that goes wrong. Let's just say you're doing an inspection via phone. You can't smell if there's a dog in there that's illegal or track like, hey, is is there someone in the property that shouldn't be living there? All of those types of things you can't see when you're remote. And if that is the first impression to tenants who are coming in, prospective tenants who say, oh, I really like this home. I think I want to rent it. If their first impression is everything is remote, 
then you're really going to set yourself up for success. You may get taken advantage of, you may miss things. And overall, it costs you a lot more in the end. And so remote management, one of the mind shifts that people really have to take is that remote management doesn't mean everything is remote. It doesn't mean a robot is going to show your rental property. What it actually means is that you are going to have a local team there who is helping support you, even though you're making the decisions from your home, your vacation home, you're up wherever you are. And that local team starts with a leasing agent. I highly recommend a leasing agent. People structure it differently, but this is someone who can help with, a lot of leasing agents help with turnover coordination. So making sure the property is moving ready. Then they do all the showings with the tenant. They're the face and the person who's there. They hand over the keys. They make sure the property is in the condition that it's expected to pass over so that when the tenants move out, in the same condition. And they're there to help really sell your rental property is a great experience and a great place for a tenant to live. And these leasing agents are licensed. They follow fair housing. They will be very professional with it. There's agents who just do leasing. They don't do any buy-sell business. They don't do any property management. They just focus on leasing. And that's a really good way to set off your relationship with your customer who is the tenant right away. Now you yourself, Marco, may be in California and you may be sitting there looking at your investment portfolio and seeing what applicants have come in, looking at the credit scores, looking at the applications. You might have all that transparency and control over the properties and you might have two properties on market, you know, one in North Carolina, one in Florida at the same time but you're having your local team help you. And so that is one of the most important things is to make sure that you have a really good team set up. It starts with that leasing agent, um, but it also transpires down to uh, the professional work. So getting the right handyman in place, getting the right general contractor, getting the right plumber, electrician, folks who you really trust and know, or who others trust and know, and then using data over time to understand is my portfolio optimized? Am I getting the right price for like basically the value versus the cost? Looking at all of that yourself. But a lot of times when real estate investors get scared of remote management, you know, they have properties in different locations. They have like five different property managers. They get scared of remote management for that reason of how am I going to do it? I don't have boots on the ground. You can get that entire process set up but you do need to make sure that you have a really trustworthy team and you're using your network to help you build that trusted network. Do you have any advice on vetting contractors? One of the issues I've had for so long is finding good contractors. And even when yeah. I thought I had good contractors, I found out that you know they either ended up cutting corners or mm-hmm. ripping me off or you know there was just some issue that would come up, not in every case, but it just happens it feels like often, but you know, yeah, it's just one of those industries and careers that are so covered in negativity, you know, like it's just one of those things that, oh, you're a contractor. Okay. You know, you might be a shady person. So how do you vet contractors? Yeah, that's a great question. And actually one of the most difficult things for remote real estate investors. And there are really two reasons for that. One is the shortage of contractors. A lot of the the smartest, brightest don't wake up to say, one day I'm going to become a contractor, right? Right. And the second is those who do really, really well with general contracting, 
plumbing, electrical work, whatever it may be, those ones who do really well, they're almost overworked and underpaid for what they're doing. And so it's really hard. They start increasing their prices a lot. They don't have like an operational process set up, Marco, like you do of, okay, here's someone who's interested in um, rental properties. What are their goals? How can I get them assigned to the right person? A lot of these contractors are one-man shows, two-man shows where they're trying to do everything, which means they're not doing anything effectively and efficiently. And that's not their fault, right? Like that's just, it's just the nature of the game. And so it's a really hard business to be in. For the contractors, it's really hard to be on the real estate investor side and be working in that type of environment when you're used to maybe your W-2 corporate job where everything is so structured and there's operational processes in place. So the first thing I would say is I like data. And so I actually put together an Excel spreadsheet of every contractor in that area and then proof of how good they are. This can be online proof. So like social proof from all the different various websites, what are the negative reviews to what have real estate agents said about them their past customers that they've worked with, what have they said, folks you may know down the street who have had consistent, you know, they've been out to the property three to four times, at least here's my experience with them. So putting all of that together in an Excel, I love Excel by the way, so I'll, I'll reference it a lot, but um, putting that all into there and then making sure they're licensed for their trade, making sure they have insurance, how long have they been in business? Some kind of quick tips that aren't necessarily, they'll be on the Excel, but things to keep in mind, sometimes the large, like the huge nationwide companies aren't the best to work with. Like from Hemlings data, what we see is the best contractors tend to be the ones where it's owned and operated by someone local. They've been in the business for like 10 to 20 years. They have a team of like five to 10 people working at the company. So they have enough people where they have an accountant. They have someone to help with bookings with the tenants and, and, and getting things on the calendar. Those are the companies we find are the best because usually it's that owner operator or someone trusted who's still going out to do the work, which is a good thing. And so that's one thing I've learned. The other thing is what's really interesting is you'll put on this Excel spreadsheet, what are their costs? And so you'll say, do they have a service call? Is their service call for weekends or emergencies different than the service call rate for Monday through Friday? For that service call rate, can that be applied towards the actual job that's being done? And what's really interesting with our data that we've seen is a lot of times the person who has the lowest, like the cheapest service call rate. So let's just say someone with a service call rate of $40. A lot of times the actual job costs a lot more than the person who has like an $80 service call rate. And their jobs tend to be for the same type of job tend to be lower. And so it's really important that you take all this data and then you just take examples. Like I'll ask a contractor, how much does it cost to replace a garbage disposal? What are the parts? What are the materials for a Badger 5? Like, or sorry, what are the materials and what is the labor for Badger 5? How much does that cost you? And then I'll write this down because if they give me a different price when they're out there, I'll say, wait, but in such and such call, you had mentioned this, but really getting that list together. That's something that we do at Hemlane. We continue to improve it and add that data, but that's something for you to do as a real estate investor too, because once you get that process set up once, 
you know who's going to be good in the area and who's not. And sometimes the reviews don't tell the full story because sometimes people have great reviews because they're super fast at getting out there, but to you and, and professional when they're, they're out there, but Marco, to your point, they charge $400 for garbage disposal replacement. And that's, you know, that's overcharging. And so there's always that balance. The other thing I would say is, is don't try to nickel and dime because there's going to be a point where you need that contractor to be out there first. You need them to be incredibly professional. And if you're always the person who's trying to cut on their fees, then what's going to happen is you're going to be the last person they respond to. They're going to get a call on Saturday morning, water heater is out, and they're not going to call you until Tuesday or Wednesday. And so there's always a balance there and there's no right answer to it, but there's always a balance of what is the cost? How professional are they? How quick are they to respond? And then you want to set those expectations, obviously, with your tenants as well. The number of repairs that come in, I mean, the most you should probably have is like once a quarter. It's, it can be standard. We see also properties where it's like once every six months. If you're having a lot of requests come in, the question is, are the tenants troubleshooting things correctly? Making sure you're not sending someone out for something tenants can fix. And then also like, was the property in move and ready condition when the tenant moved in? Because you should have not as many repair requests over time. Yeah. Yeah. Those are all really good tips. And actually I was thinking of the question while you were answering it, how often it happens. Cause I was actually going to make the comment that maintenance and repair requests are not that common. They don't come in as often as mm -hmm. some people think they do. And you mentioned once a quarter, mine are less than that. The majority yeah. of them, you know, there are very few requests. If anything, they're just questions, you know, about the operation of something. And even that doesn't happen very often. But once a quarter is probably more than what I've seen. But probably it sets a reasonable expectation, you know, if, if you're going to be self-managing, just expect one question or request per quarter. You know, I think we talked about this the last time you were on the show. And I believe I asked you the question about who should not be managing their own properties. Like some people are just well suited to have it outsourced and have professional managements, management companies managing their properties. But that's not necessarily true for everybody. So, you know, what type of people should not be remotely managing their rental properties? Yeah, so that's a great question, by the way. And this is where it comes down to you, who you are as a human being and, and reflecting on that as you embark on purchasing your first property or your fifth property, wherever you are in that process. So as my rule number three, you need to be on top of your operations. If you are the type of person who's just not, you just can't operationalize anything. Maybe you're like really good with like sales and meeting out with people and building relationships, but like your follow-ups are not there that you're not that type of person at work, you're not going to be able to do it. So if you look at other parts of your life and where you've done well, if you aren't very good at the operations, like the day-to-day -day and setting up a process, you probably should not self-manage your properties. You are going to forget things. And an example is a tenant puts in a request. There's something that's going wrong, whether it's with the property or a lease question that they have, you forget to get back to them. You miss the 30 day for the lease renewal. You lose money overall in the end because now you're waiting another 60 days to get the lease renewal in process and for signature. Those types of things can be really concerning. And so if you cannot, if you're not on top of your email inbox, your operations, et cetera, that's where it's like, great, hire someone who is operational. And that would be a full service property manager. 
Got it. So out of curiosity, how's Hemlane help you stay organized operationally? Because I'm a fairly organized person, but I mm -hmm. can think of five people off the top of my head right now that just have clutter everywhere all the time. And they're just not organized. I mean, no matter how hard they yeah. try, they just can't stay organized. So. <laughs> Yep, I get it. I get it. So there's two big ways that we help. One is organization, to your point. All the maintenance and repair communications are here. It's all tracked. If something hasn't been responded to, we have automatic follow-ups, et cetera, to say, hey, Marco, you need to answer this question, approve or, or decline this uh, service professional going on site, that type of thing. So that's a first. It's just the system has all communication outlined and um, helps you stay on top of that, organizing things where they need to be. The second is your tasks. And so tasks is very much of, Marco, you log in, here's all the things you need to do. You have a lease coming up for renewal in the next 90 days. Do you want to renew it now? Do you want to snooze it for another 30 days and do it, reach out to the tenants 60 days before their renewal? You need to set up rent. You need to, you know, review this rental application. So the tasks will go through. What are the tasks that you need to do to stay operationally efficient and get everything done? And then we'll send email reminders on that as well every single week of here's your to-do list of things you need to get done. If it's something urgent, we'll send you a text message. Like if it's an emergency repair request, you'll get a text message right to your phone. Okay. I know one of your rules is all about expectations, keeping them in alignment and mm -hmm. preventing yourself from being ripped off from the various people you work with, whether it be contractors, leasing agents and whatnot. How do you go about doing that? How do you make your expectations reasonable and aligned? Yeah, we're in, um, and this is my rule number four, which is aligning expectations from that perspective is what you will see is people often, so rentals is a people business. When you're in property management, you're in the people business, service business. Right. And you often forget to look at the other person's point of view of where they are coming from. And so whenever you think, ooh, they're kind of out of line, the tenant on expecting that I'm not gonna increase rent or the contractor is out of line with what they are charging, what you need to do is put yourself in their shoes, understand where they're coming from, of why they're charging so much or why they don't want a rent increase, then use data and alignment of how do I make it where I'm aligned with them that they think this is a great deal or a great opportunity to work together? And how do I make it where we work better together? An example of that would be a lease renewal. So with a tenant, when you're aligning expectations with them, you expect, especially if you're investing in single family homes, you're expecting people to stay for a lot longer, your tenants, right? Apartments turn over slightly faster than single family homes. And so let's just say it's up for renewal. If you just tell your tenant, hey, interest rates you know, grew by 9%, I'm going to be increasing your rent by 9%, tenants are going to be like, wait a second, my job, maybe I, my income only increased 4 to 5%, which is what we saw in January's report for jobs reported to the government. And so what you would want to do is say, how do I want align expectations that one, this tenant stays there for longer? Two, I myself have set it up where they are incentivized to choose the option that's best for me. An example of that would be, hey, let me give them a, an annual renewal at a slightly lower rate than what the market rate is, or even just slightly lower than my month to month. Let me give them a month to month option that's much closer to the market rate 
where they could move out any time, maybe during the winter when you don't want them to move out, if it's like a colder place. And then you could incentivize them to sign a 12 month lease with you and everyone wins. So always thinking about aligning incentives and expectations will not only just make your life easier to get what you want out of the relationship, but also it will make sure that you increase your cash flow, which is important to you. Random question here, but out of curiosity, has anybody ever asked you if self-management is hard? Yes, I have definitely had folks say self-management is difficult. And I think it is difficult if you do it all on your own. If you don't have a team, if you don't have a process, if you don't have a system, like all this stuff about like annual renewals versus monthly renewals, we just do it in app for you. Like we try to make the best practices, but I do think some people think it's really hard. Some people think it's really easy. What's interesting about self-management is people who think it's really hard, it's because they had a really difficult situation. They had a tenant where they were going through an eviction that was emotional. They had a professional tenant that they didn't expect. They had a contractor that screwed them over. And really it gets back to those first steps that we spoke about of how do you set yourself up? How are you, how do you make sure you're professional? How do you make sure that you have a good local team in place? Like, how do you reduce risk? And as if you can reduce as much risk as possible, then you're going to be set up really for the future and purchasing properties anywhere and following that same process. Um, But a lot of times it does take that upfront work. And so when I think of it as being difficult, I think it's really difficult in your first two months and three months because you've got to do the work. You can't be lazy. You can't think that this is just going to be an easy thing to do. You definitely need to talk to people. You need to get educated, et cetera. Yeah, for sure. So you mentioned there were five rules. We're, I think, at number five now. What is number five? You have to love what you do. I think that, you know, if you're in property management and you're self-managing your properties, then it's a hassle and you haven't set yourself up with a good system. You don't, you're trying to do everything yourself. It's Saturday and you're just trying to enjoy time with your family and suddenly a call comes in and you just can't handle it. You're not loving your real estate investments and it's going to prevent you from purchasing more properties. And so then you need to take a step back and say, is this right for me? And that is really where, if you love what you do, you're going to continue to build your empire, but you need to make sure that you are set up correctly. So I think an important factor there is valuing your time and knowing Mm -hmm. where you should be spending your time. If you've got the time and you can do the self-management, it'll be probably satisfying, productive, and more profitable for you. But if you don't have the time or your priorities are much higher elsewhere, then maybe that's the situation where you outsource it to a full service management company. And to be quite honest with you, that is actually the reason why I have not brought myself completely into the self-management space is I just have so many things going on and I'm trying to prioritize my time with my family. And so I really just can't find myself going in that direction by putting more stuff on my plate, even though it may not be very much. So for me, I just put a higher priority on my time being spent elsewhere. And I think some yeah. people are like that, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and one thing you will see with it is then there's the hybrid model, right? Where it's, hey, I've got that local, I've got that leasing agent, I've got people to help me. 
I have that team and it's just like screening a property manager. You're screening that person on the ground. And so there's kind of the also all in between of how much you want to do and um, figuring that out. But no matter what you do, you need to make sure you love it. And if you don't love it, you need to reassess your situation. Yeah. And I think I'll also add to that, that part of this, maybe a large part of this is mindset. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, there's always that hurdle because we deal with this as a nationwide turnkey property provider where people have been taught or indoctrinated by so-called gurus or other people online to invest. You have to invest locally. You know, you have to invest in something within an hour or two of where you live. But that's an old mindset. That works well if you're flipping property, but that's not true if you're a long-term buy and hold investor where you're just building a portfolio because those properties literally can be anywhere. You're gonna get the same benefits, if not better, by looking in other markets, that makes sense. And you don't need to be close to the property for that to be true. So, you know, it's a mindset when it comes to investing and where you should invest to get the best opportunities and the best returns. And I think it's also true with management, self-management. It's a mindset as far as, you know, whether you should or shouldn't be doing it and whether you can or can't be doing it because you yeah. are remote. Do you agree with me on that? Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And I think that mindset thing that once you change your mindset, and that's actually the most difficult thing to do. It's like changing habits, you yeah. have habits and assumptions. You need to, to be able to change that. So I couldn't agree more with you, Marco. Cool. Well, Dana, any final thoughts or suggestions for our audience? I think that for the audience themselves, um, if you are kind of thinking about your property management, keep in mind that not one size fits all. There used to be do it yourself. You have to do everything yourself or full service, but keep in mind there's everything in between. And with technology, that's becoming easier to do um, over time. Cool. Very good. Well, Dana, thank you for taking the time to come back on the show and share your five rules. So we will uh, get this published. And where can people find you and learn more about you and Hemling? Yeah, you can find me um, at Hemling, www.hemling.com. I'm also active. If you'll check Dana Dunford, you can check any of the social media and you'll see me on there on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Awesome. Well, Dana, thank you once again. I appreciate your time. Great. Thanks so much, Marco, for having me. All right. Talk to you soon. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you are new to the show, remember to download the ultimate guide to passive real estate investing. It's a free download on our websites at noradarealestate.com and passiverealestateinvesting.com, the home of this podcast. And that is a great primer. And I'm going to be updating it this year, kind of uh, version two, if you will, because so many things have changed and there's a lot of talk about inflation and where we're going in terms of our fiat currency, monetary policy, fiscal policy, and all that kind of stuff. So I might sprinkle some of that in there. Don't forget, we offer free strategy sessions. So contact our team here, talk to one of our investment counselors, and they can certainly talk to you about the markets, the state of the markets, what's going on in housing, available inventory, markets that make sense from a growth or cash flow perspective, and talk about your goals, where you're trying to go to, from where you are. It'll be a great conversation. It's really about helping you point your compass in the right direction and get started, or maybe just expand and grow and scale what you're already doing. If you have questions about real estate investing, don't be shy, shoot them over to me at Well, it's an Ask Marco episode, so you can do that at PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. Just go there, click on the link, 
and let me know what your question is. I do try to reply to many of them via email, but I uh, intend to answer as many as I can on the show. Remember to subscribe. It's only one click away. It only takes you a couple seconds. Share the show with like-minded people. Thank you for listening, and we will see you on our next episode. Are you looking for a roadmap to financial freedom? If so, we have a solution for you. Narada Real Estate is offering a limited number of free strategy sessions to help you get out of the rat race. Learn how you can create wealth and build monthly passive income. To set up a time with one of our knowledgeable investment counselors, simply go to naradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights and media interviews, please contact the host.